0: We bring you news and analysis every day on the Bloomberg UK Politics podcast, but now you can hear the latest news on demand whenever you want it. Subscribe to Bloomberg News Now to get the latest headlines at the click of a button. You can listen and subscribe to Bloomberg News Now on the Bloomberg Business app, Bloomberg.com plus Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Search Bloomberg News Now and subscribe today.
1: Energy and air pollution will be one of the top five issues for the general
2: election. We talk about Putin being in control. He's not, but really. it's the various factions under him, and it suits them to have him at the front. You're
3: trying to save for a house deposit, and you'd have to save up some crazy amount of money. How on earth are you going to do that if a client is seven pounds?
1: There's certain key things that we want from India, and there's certain key things that they want from us.
4: You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts.
0: And I'm Caroline Hepke. Welcome to the programme. So I'm back in London and we're going to spend today's programme teasing out all the takeaways from four days of the Conservative Party conference. And also look ahead, of course, to Labour's gathering in Liverpool that begins on Sunday.
4: Yeah, well, welcome back from Manchester, Caroline. You managed to get here despite the train strikes. What was the atmosphere like amongst the assembled masses? Uh,
0: look it's it's called a jamboree for a reason you know it attracts people from all over the country and of course the grassroots supporters um, and MPs and think tanks and lobby groups um, it was pretty packed on some days yes the train strikes loomed and it certainly meant that on Wednesday things were quite quiet but look I think that the overall feeling you cannot escape is is to say that it was quite flat, quite sluggish, a bit despondent. Why? Because, of course, the polling is so against the Conservatives at the moment. I mean, the fringe events, frankly, got most of the excitement, including the former Prime Minister, Liz Truss, like a competing speech, almost alongside, just ahead of, the Chancellor's speech on the Monday. Um, And... I would say the other thing that really struck me which I was sort of not quite expecting this is MPs turned broadcasters a lot Mm. of MPs are also now
4: one particular name
0: (laughs) Nigel Farage yeah Yeah, absolutely no he's he's key Um, but there are a lot of others also so there are kind Mm. of dual roles dual hats dual functioning I think that's still quite a novelty in mm, UK politics
4: that. I wonder if that's come from America that seems to be something which wasn't the case uh, a couple of years ago well let's talk about the main event Sunak's speech I watched it from the comfort of the office avoiding the trains um, it, was, <laughs> yes. it, was a, it was a long speech and I, I thought it got off to quite a slow start but it, he did warm up and he had some pretty big things to announce obviously on the curtailment of the UK's biggest infrastructure project but also on smoking restrictions not something you would call classic Territory, uh, and on big reforms to post sixteen qualifications, something which will take years, probably many years. Uh, but I think, assuming Sunak's aim was to make a big flash, big splash, and to, and to show that he was making big decisions, well, I think he succeeded in that. Whether the big decisions, the biggest decision on HS2, were winning friends in the north or anywhere else, I think that is much more up in the air what what were your takeaways from from the big speech caroline
0: yeah look i thought that it was very long um which sort of Mm. was a little bit unexpected in some ways um he was introduced on stage by akshata his wife she absolutely charmed the room i do want to mention that and could well be a real asset that maybe we will see more of i'm Mm. not sure um
4: Gordon Brown did that. It's, it's, yes, it's, yes, it's and a, David a, Cameron an did trick.
0: too. Yes, it's an, it's an old trick, but I thought it was a good one. Mm. Um, she spoke really, really well and interestingly. And um, so that was good. Also, Penny cut um, two Plymouth MPs uh, introduced the Prime Minister. I'll talk a bit more about Penny Mordaunt in a moment. But no, I think the main thing from Rishi Sunak's speech for me that stood out is simply that the Prime Minister what a year potentially we think it might be an October general election that seems to be the buzz from pollsters and others who've been speaking to us if it is an October general election and therefore this is the last party conference this Prime Minister is not running on the 13 years of Tory government he's not running on their record he is not sort of necessarily championing all the good things that they have done he seemed to be saying that he was the change candidate. Maybe that's something trying to detract from Labour's pitch to voters. He was talking about shaking up the status quo and fundamentally changing Britain. And that struck me as a little bit strange.
4: I think that message of uh, I'm standing on my record, these are my achievements, that's always a difficult message to go into an election, isn't it? Even if you're very happy with your achievements, it's very tricky to sell that to the electorate. So change is much more powerful. But it does seem... A little cheeky to, to, to promise change after 13 years. I think the, the final line of the speech was really quite something and it bears repeating. Be in no doubt, it is time for a change and we are it. I have to say, I did... Drop my proverbial tea at my desk I mean it's you know it's it's one thing for a government that's been in office for 13 years to talk about a fresh start under a new leader we've had all that before haven't we but to mm. literally say it is time for a change that's really quite something isn't it?
0: Yeah absolutely and then also you know when you talk about the other the policy we'll get on to HS2 in a minute but the, the smoking um, ban which is going to be enacted over years this is a, a Jacinda Ardern New mm. Zealand policy and again quite a lot of the feedback is, is this a Conservative policy banning things? It was the exact um, slogan that Liz Truss had, you know, stop banning things Mm. and many of the conservative commentators are saying this is a progressive policy uh, you know even if it is good kind of health policy it's it's odd.
4: Yeah you sort of wonder how it fits in with the, the green rowback a, a couple of weeks mm. ago not banning gas boilers, not mm. banning diesel and petrol cars but we're going to gradually make it illegal for adults to smoke cigarettes.
0: Yeah uh, and also the, I did notice um, the Prime Minister talked a lot about you know young people and how it's going to be great for their health and it took a little moment before he actually got to The vaping element, which is the big rise in smoking, actually amongst teens in Britain, is vaping. And that isn't a ban on vaping. It's sort of looking at advertising. So, in fact, for vaping, the government's a few steps behind in terms of smoking policy, although, yes, it is less damaging than smoking I, traditional cigarettes i think
4: what'll be really interesting here is to see how mps divide on this because soon mm. of course have promised a free vote yes uh, i Comptions imagine that vote, most yeah. labor and probably lib dems will vote in favor of this yeah but tories i think will be pretty divided
0: and again the same on the education the big education point that the prime minister was saying more subjects to be taught up to 18 that is um again sort of a passion project for the prime minister which is fantastic on the one hand if you want to sell more maths and better literacy i mean who's against better literacy on the other hand detractors will say you need more teachers for that and the one thing britain has struggled with in this labour shortage and with the strike action by teachers and many other public sector workers that is really difficult to get more teachers into the you know, in into schools, state schools in Britain. Mm. And so perhaps that's also why it was wrapped up with this £30,000 bonus over a period of time for new teachers. Maybe, maybe you need that incentive. You know, and also this is very long term policy. Mm, it's big picture stuff, big isn't picture it? stuff. And so we come to the point around democratic deficit. If you're rowing back or talking about big policies, And you are the leader because your party's been elected in. And, you know, as Rishi Sunak is not... He wasn't voted in as prime minister, it was his party then is there a sort of democratic deficit? Yeah,
4: and HS2, of course, was a key promise in the 2019 election. I, I think this is a problem which faces new prime ministers who've come in mid-term, isn't it? Because they, yeah. they were elected like everybody else on a manifesto, and now he's saying well, I don't like some of this. But, uh, you know, I mean, politicians do it all the time. This is, we can't accuse Sunak of being the first to, to no. roll back on manifesto commitments, but HS2 was an important one, had yes. a controversial one, and he's ditched it. He
0: has, and he did use also the word cancel and I thought that was quite striking mm. because he, I was in Manchester in the main hall uh, where the e- exhibits are the, you know, so it's it's a gathering of media but also lots of interest groups, I mean we were close to the um, the RNIB you know, for the, the Association for Blind People lots of different Put, interest it, groups in case, and yeah. putting their case, you know, to try to catch the attention of MPs and so on and um, it is a converted old railway station. Yes, Manchester Central. Of course, Manchester Central. You know it <laughs> much better than I do, me being a Londoner. Um, so it was striking then that we saw the Prime Minister going around that hall under pressure in every interview before his big speech to say what the decision was on High Speed Rail 2, project that's been in the works since 2009 under five previous Prime Ministers, um, and he wouldn't. And then when he did come out in the speech and talk about it, it was the the kind of climax of the speech. And he did talk about scrapping it, about it being cancelled and then replaced by fresh investment, reinvestment. Um, but I was, I was struck by that.
4: Yeah, I thought it was so interesting, that decision. So many prominent voices in the media decrying the move to scrap HS2. David Cameron making an unusual um, and pretty strongly worded uh, intervention. And yet... Let's remember that there's always been lots of opposition to HS2, making the case that it's not a green project, it destroys all sorts of things as it goes through the countryside and even some saying it won't help the north and that's even before you start talking about the money.
0: Oh no absolutely I mean you, you, you speak to anybody on the issue of HS2 and you'll, you'll get a, a separate opinion you know be it that it won't be able to get to the high speeds the maximum high speeds that you can in Europe because you know we don't have enough track and there'll be too many station stops to having to dig through the Chilterns in order to not ruin the countryside and that elevating cost and there are just so many intricacies in this and also that building before the full planning permission was given. Will we even be able to get the money back? As Sunak seems to be promising, you know, cost savings. I'm not sure how many of the private organisations involved are going to have contracts in which the government can claw money back from. Anyway, let's have a listen firstly, actually, to what the Prime Minister had to say. Here he is, Rishi Sunak.
2: I say to those who backed the project in the first place, the facts have changed. And the right thing to do when the facts change is to have the courage to change direction.
4: And really interesting how he did change direction because he didn't just scrap it. He said he's going to spend every penny, 30 odd billion pounds, on transport, transport infrastructure projects, primarily public transport, but a bit of road stuff as well. And a lot of it in the north. Yes. Now, I think this is really interesting. If you look through that list of projects, and you know I'm a bit of a transport nerd. I, Caroline, I was
0: hoping you were going to say that you had examined it in great detail. I'm not going to rattle them
4: all off. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to spare you that, that, that pain. But there's loads of stuff in the East Midlands, in Yorkshire, in the northwest. Loads to really interesting really good stuff where you think wow yeah that really needs doing that's been on the cards for ages let's spend money on that and i thought that looks really exciting but I guess the issue is, is uh, A, will it happen? Yes. And B, when will it happen? Because yes. in this country, doing infrastructure quickly is something we never, ever manage. And the chance of any of this happening by the general election must be zero. And the chance of it even starting before the general election, I think a lot of these projects probably not ready even to start. So politically, you do wonder if soon will get much, much credit for all these lovely looking projects.
0: Yes, absolutely. And straight after, of course, the Prime Minister gave that speech and outlined all of those various um, pots of money for road resurfacing, you know, more stations, bus services, all kinds of things. Then the Greater Manchester Mayor, Andy Burnham, who had spoken to us at party conference, um, gave a press conference. He was surrounded by other the Manchester business leaders by the council leader and also by the chair of the Greater Manchester Business Board, um, Lou Cordwell. And um, he is incredibly frustrated. He was also standing in a disused railway station saying, you know, why are we second class citizens? That's the kind of line that he's repeated a few times. And so I sort of asked him to explain why he's so frustrated, what he wants the Labour Party to do about it, what he once in terms of interaction with the government. So have a listen to you know, the two or three questions I got to ask Andy Burnham in that press conference. Have a listen.
1: It, it never helps anybody when a country rips up plans that have been worked on for a long time because businesses then look at that and think, God, you know, we, we need uh, more uh, stability than, than that. So it, it just doesn't help uh, build business confidence or investor confidence. So I, I, I don't understand how the Conservative Party, which once called itself the party of business, can, can look at its own behavior this week and think that's consistent with a party that's about bringing growth to the regions or investment to the regions because You know, to be holed up in hotel rooms, not speaking to anybody, not speaking to the businesses, uh, as well as not speaking to ourselves, you know, how does that kind of show to the business community that there's a, you know, a coherent uh, set of plans here, because it it basically says the opposite.
0: On that point, um, the Prime Minister, it is thought, actually had a meeting with the Birmingham Mayor. Do you think that Birmingham got a better deal because the Mayor is Conservative? You say that you haven't seen the Prime Minister, even though you asked for a meeting and a gathering... Did Andy Street get a better deal?
1: Well, I, um, I just want to say on the record how much I appreciate um, how Andy Street has conducted himself and what what he has done, I think, for the greater good, not just for his own city. He's made the case for the connectivity between Birmingham and Manchester. And I have nothing but praise, actually, for the way he has done things. And um, I think that's how things should, uh, should be done.
0: But no whiff of partisanship.
1: Uh, not from Andy um, and you know I, I I do think it's disappointing as I said before when you're talking about infrastructure that goes beyond the life of any government you know I have been a minister when I was dealing with social care I instituted cross-party talks because when you're dealing with something that goes beyond the sort of narrow kind of cycle you've got to open out and the fact that they haven't done that with this um, really I think says something very negative about the way this current government is operating.
0: Can I ask a last question on Keir Starmer? Would you want the Labour Party now, with perhaps a year out from the next general election, do they have to recommit the money to HS2? Is that what you would want the Labour Party to do now?
1: So, obviously, I will go straight from here to the party conference in in Liverpool, and I'll be speaking to to colleagues there. We have to try and make sense of this plan, as as I said before, and there is something very practical that needs to be done before um, talking of money and it 's protecting the bill that 's in Parliament and it 's also about protecting the the land and the, the work that 's gone in to creating that uh, that line between Birmingham and manchester so there 's sort of initial things that need to be done uh, to be done as well. But I'm going to look in detail at what's been announced and see how it can be, if you like, built back up into something much more coherent than it currently is. And I'll be talking to uh, the leader of the Labour Party uh, in Liverpool about that next week.
0: So that was the Greater Manchester Mayor Andy Burnham. Now, don't you think that's interesting it, that that Burnham is talking about kind of collaboratively working together, not boxing in Keir Starmer to having to recommit to HS2? Of course, he's a Labour mayor, but you know, giving credit to Andy Street, that the Birmingham Mayor that I, I also saw at conference and managed to get you know a few words out out of, he very much wants a kind of um, a business-led approach. To trying to kind of salvage new infrastructure projects, I think though that it is worth saying that the Conservatives are right in a sense about the costs having gone up so much for HS2, um, and that that is a real difficulty. But I think the reason that it is very hard for them to make the argument is that they are not at the same time taking responsibility for it having been government-led. You know. Sunak talked about taking away responsibility from the the organisation in charge of Euston because they've done such a bad job. But actually, we've spoken to the former boss of HS2 and it wasn't as if there weren't cost checks and balances all the way along and reviews at various stages of HS2. So I think that's also a weakness in the government's argument. There were there were checks and balances. The cost did go up.
4: I mean, the truth is, these costs always escalate. You only need to look at the Crossrail project, which ended up costing 19 billion in the end. That was certainly not the price tag attached to it uh, at the beginning. And infrastructure is expensive in this country, and governments, it seems Mm. to me, are not very good at managing the cost. I think interesting for Labour this it's 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 an easy win for them in the short term they're going to go to Liverpool ironically another city which would have benefited from HS2 and will do less so now they're going to be in fine form aren't they they're mm. going to be talking about this the whole time but I do think further down the line, there are tricky questions for Labour. Is a Labour government going to really come in and shove £35 billion they don't have into a high-speed rail project? Mm. I think that's unlikely. If some of these smaller projects, which I think will be pretty popular in the areas they're in, if some of them, uh, uh, the planning is underway, is Labour going to pull the funding from those and spend it on HS2? I think that's a very difficult decision for Labour.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Have a listen then to the Transport Minister, Mark Harper, because he was also asked uh, about his view after you had a, um, a lot of conservative heavyweights, including David Cameron, Boris Johnson, uh, George Osborne, um, you know, that th- their view would perhaps be in support of HS2. This is Mark Harper on the government's view.
4: Yes, and they're absolutely entitled to their opinion. I work closely with both of them in government and was very proud to serve with them. But that was a number of years ago. The facts have changed. The costs of the project have escalated. The... Uh, Patterns of travel have changed post-pandemic, so facts have changed, so this government's taken a different decision, the Prime Minister's taken a different decision uh, that he thinks and I think is in the interests of the country about cancelling HS2, the second phase, saving the £36 billion that we were due to spend on that project and investing every penny in transport infrastructure across the North, the Midlands and the rest of the country on projects which we think will deliver better value for the taxpayer, uh, better outcomes for the people of our country. And that's a decision I'm proud of.
0: Okay, so that was the Transport Minister, Mark Harper, then making uh, the case for the government. Of course, I think there's been a lot of in-depth reaction, some of it um, quite negative to the HS2 um, uh, cancellation. I do think it's also worth pointing out... um, the 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 questions from the media for the government have also been quite pointed. I mean, just have to look at someone like Nick Robinson um, asking the Prime Minister whether he has brass neck for cancelling HS2. Mm. You know, very, very pointed questions.
4: I think the politics of this uh, are really interesting because the truth is, is that most people don't take trains uh, and many people can't afford to take uh, in-city trains. They are very expensive in this country. And this is going to be even more expensive. It's going mm. to be a premium product. So the number of people who would have been taking very fast trains between... Uh, Manchester uh, and Leeds with the with the, with the the uh, eastern leg, which is mostly curtailed as well, to London at great cost, I think would be quite limited. So yeah, I wonder how many people are going to be actually upset about this. Uh, perhaps some may see it as a bold decision. Perhaps some will be pleased that their local infrastructure projects are going to get funding instead. So I think the politics of this, we, we, we're yet to see really how this is going to play out.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Well, it's not just, you know, the politicians and the policy, it's also the impact on business. I mean, you say that that it's going to be expensive for people to use um, high-speed trains, but it's been a very important selling point for building up business. And so I was speaking to the chair of the Greater Manchester Business Board, Lou Cordwell, who herself is an entrepreneur and quite influential in the north, and she gave me this reaction to the cancellation of HS2. A lack of certainty, you know, if you are, regardless of your party politics, regardless of whether you are pro HS2 or not, and you, you know, I meet people across the spectrum in business, as, as you always do, what we are pro is the economy and jobs and growth, and that's for the north of England, and we see Greater Manchester actually working really hard for the whole of the north of England, not just for Greater Manchester, so I think you know it's this betrayal of just giving us some consistency you know which is ridiculously important and then back to that betrayal in the process you know we were we've been in the same city we've been in the same room (laughs) we've been in the same dinners come and meet us and have this conversation and we can deliver lovely not for the country so it just feels counter to that whole way that we believe in working to drive an economy Lou Cordwell, Chair of the Greater Manchester Business Board, really saying what we've heard from a lot of businesses, which is no matter what stripe of government we have, we need certainty, we need focus on uh, the future, on on kind of policy consistency. Um, So, yeah, that's the view uh, from Manchester Business, certainly.
4: Yeah, and another senior uh, business figure who's upset for different reasons. Billionaire founder of Phones for You, John Cordwell, was until recently one of the Tory party's biggest and most prominent donors. Uh, He gave the party half a million pounds, if you remember, at the last election. Mm. Now he says he's turning off the taps. He's been lobbying the government for more than three years to try and create an environmental tech enterprise zone here in the UK. And it hasn't happened yet. He says now the Prime Minister's decision to walk back some of the party's flagship green policies is damaging to both the economy and the environment. Here's what he said to our colleague Francine Lacroix.
2: I think the uh, UK population were a bit misinformed about what net zero means and what 2030 meant in terms of uh, internal combustion engines and instead of uh, selling the positives and any negatives that there might be for people explaining those negatives and explaining how the government would subsidise those negatives to turn the whole thing into a virtuous circle I think he went for the easy votes and it wasn't a popular decision to reverse from 2030 to 2035 but it was completely the wrong decision. There's nothing more important for the world than the environment and for Britain there's nothing more important than growing our GDP and we could have done both of those things at the same time.
3: Do you think because of the decision, this decision, international investments or international investors will less likely invest in the UK?
2: Well, I think think that's going to be a a certain tendency because what any investor wants is consistency. They want a government that sets the parameters in in the economy and sticks to them and doesn't chop and change. And the chopping and changing is always detrimental to businesses. So, yes, on that score, yes, but I wanted them to go a lot further than that. I wanted a real big investment in the UK from outside investors. And it wouldn't cost anything at all to create a enterprise zone that's tax-free for inward investment to come in that are government imp- approved in terms of their scientific technology on an environmental platform. And in that way, we could have grown our GDP enormously over the next 10 to 20 yeah. years, grown Britain and helped to save the planet at the same time.
3: John, do you think actually investment will leave the UK because of the government's green agenda?
2: I don't think it'll leave the UK particularly, no, because I think it would require something more radical than that. But we're already a high tax regime. We're not investing enough in the future of Britain. And it doesn't look very smart for the future of britain and so it certainly won't be doing a lot to attract other than the fact and i would make this statement very strongly that i think great britain is a very very attractive country for people to come to live through in from many perspectives but we need to be better we can't be complacent we need to be better and we've seen ourselves our economy in the doldrums pretty much uh, for the whole uh, of this century for 20 years so we Really need to get a fingers at and be proactive in investing in future.
3: Yeah, are you frustrated with the, the state of the Tories right now? You have been a big donor. Will you continue to do so?
2: Well, I am very frustrated. Yes, because there's so much, so many ideas that are put forward to government. So much that I believe we can do, and. Uh, from my perspective, as a businessman, just no-brainer ideas that that you don't even have to think about. You just have to think about how do you implicate, how do you, how do you implement them, and how do you make maximize the benefit from them. And so, yes, I am extremely frustrated. Um, there, at the moment, I find myself in a bit of an apolitical space because. I believe in Great Britain. I believe in investing in Great Britain. I believe in making Great Britain really, truly successful in the future, narrowing the poor-rich divide and, and doing all the things that gives the average working person a better standard of living. But it can only come from GDP growth. So you have to do that. So would I, I, I'm i not a supporter of anybody at the moment. I'm, a, I, I'm, I'm almost ashamed to say I'm a floating voter because I've always been crystal clear uh, about who I was going to vote for over the last fifty years.
3: But so, John, does it mean? And we've heard it from a lot of chief executives actually that they have been wooed or at least impressed by Labour. Could Labour also impress you with some of the, the pro-business chatter that they've been talking about?
2: Yeah, I, I think I, I think the um, Labour's rhetoric is is very good it's very pro-business it's very pro the environment and ticks a lot of boxes and kia makes it clear that he wants to listen to business people and their ideas but you know there's a big difference between electioneering and implementation so whilst it does uh, interests me and I don't rule labor out at all. Uh, at the same time I am a, a political at the moment I just I have my yeah. crystal clear but, views and no no party don't, I don't any party properly you know, represents my views.
3: But so if you're a political at the moment would would you rule out possibly being a labor donor if if they prove you know to, to be worthy for business?
2: I think, Francine, it's the same answer, you know, that I will support any party that I believe is investing in the right methodologies in Great Britain, not just throwing money at the voters, but investing in Great Britain in our future to make Britain great again, to give us a better GDP growth so that that helps everybody from the poorest members of society right through to the businesses.
0: So that was the billionaire founder of Phones for You, John Caldwell, speaking to Bloomberg's Francine Lacroix. Really interesting that he's hinting at his considerable financial backing being very much up for grabs, if, that is, Labour can convince him that they their plans match up to his outlook and he's been very focused on uh, climate change and the sort of green transition. And you do get that sense, certainly in the last six months to a year, um, I hear a lot more of whichever, you know, the phrase, whichever government is in mm. charge, you know, we'll speak to whoever is in charge. Um, and that in and of itself is sort of an admission of, of where we are in the polling and and the fact that Keir Starmer's uh, doing reasonably
4: well. Yeah, I do remember this in the run-up to the 97 election, of course, mm. where it looked like Labour was almost certain to win. I think much more uh, certain than the polls are now. And there was a great movement of business leaders and various other voices uh, saying that they're now backing Labour or they're talking to Labour, they're interested in the Labour yeah. Party. Uh, And that is something we are starting to see much more of uh, this year we didn't get it so much uh, under Jeremy Corbyn but of course Jeremy Corbyn and the business community uh, have other issues
0: yeah no absolutely <laughs> uh, just a word then to say that we're obviously going to be at the Labour conference in Liverpool we will be also speaking again I think it's fascinating how much power now resides in the mayors in the metro mayors in the UK unexpected side effect of devolution so Steve Rotherham will be speaking to us uh, the Liverpool uh, city mayor I think it would be really interesting to get his view and there'll be lots of other MPs and much more well and and uh think tanks and activists from the Labour event.
4: Yeah I know there's money for mayors in the announcement on the, the funding the transport funding actually from the speech uh, from Rishi Sunak uh, and interesting how uh, these mayors are not necessarily all pushing in the same direction you see Andy Street and uh, Andy Burnham yeah. uh, best of friends even though they're on different different parties so yes it's a new kind of power structure in the UK which we just didn't have before.
0: No absolutely that's it from us for today though if you like the programme don't forget to subscribe give it five stars so that other people can find it on Apple Podcasts Spotify or wherever you you listen.
4: This episode was produced by James Walcock and our audio engineer was Marie Ful Hussain. I'm Ewan Potts.
0: And I'm Caroline Hepke. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg.
4: Bloomberg UK politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.
3: From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage.